I'm not sure if seals come off as creative, determined, fierce, professional, elite. These things come to mind for most lay people. I think an underrated quality probably is creativity. I consider myself creative. Of course, my teenage daughter <laughs> disagrees and laughs at me when I say I'm creative. But be that as it may, I have various creative outlets. One is this podcast. And at more than one job, I've been known as the namer of things. All the things. Probably I got my penchant for naming things with a love of commercials when I was a kid and actually at Ideally, which is now Ideal. It's a fashion company. Not that I know anything about fashion, but they needed someone to herd cats and I'm good at herding cats. So I went there as an operations job. That was my first tech job. Ideal got bought by Groupon. If you're a person who cares about mergers and acquisitions, probably not too many people in this audience. At Ideal, they would have sales, quote unquote, all the time. So merchandise would change every 48 hours. This is the flash sales phenomenon that I've referred to previously on the podcast. But with that comes a need to market everything you do every 48 hours. So let's say 10 to 20 things every 24 to 48 hours needed to be named and have catchy names that could be broadcast through emails and other social media. Granted, it was more limited back then, but nonetheless, there were only so many marketing people. So I loved as a, an operations person coming up with ideas on the marketing side. But I'll tell you one thing team guys are known for. And just so you know, that's what we call ourselves, team guys. Team guys are known for writing books. <laughs> if you get a bunch of team guys together these days, it's been a little while since I've been to an event. Uh, I imagine it's, it's kind of like a book signing party uh, rather than an actual frogman get-together. However, it, it may not surprise you to know, given that I've, I've said I write here on the podcast, I mean, I don't write on the podcast. It may not surprise you, though, that given that I've said I write, that I may write a book as well one day. And lately, I've come up with the perfect name for a book, Teams and Shit. <laughs> Teams and Shit actually is a phrase, a term of art, maybe a technical term, if you will, and encapsulates so much of the team guy ethos. It says that whenever used, the teams are my first priority. And I have a feeling, I have a belief, I have a conviction that most people, talking about lay people earlier and their conceptions of who SEALs are and what they are, most people in the world probably cannot fathom the degree to which the notion of a team is important in the military and especially in special operations. See, what you think of as a team in your workplace, I think of as an administrative organization, a unit that's part of a whole, but not necessarily always a team. People who share an office are not necessarily a team. Perhaps the only people who can truly appreciate what it means to be part of an elite 
military team are professional athletes. Athletes may not be the only ones who can appreciate it, but they are an example that readily comes to mind for people. And you can see it on the sidelines of professional sports or college sports. The kind of bond that those people have, the kind of sacrifices they'll make for each other. So when I talk about a team, it means a whole different thing than when your CEO talks of a team. They probably have no idea what a team really can be. And because of this, business leaders often misorganize their resources and misallocate staff in unproductive ways because they, they just don't know what a team is. I've noticed a certain term being used more frequently now in corporations. It's the word partners. It can be used a lot in big organizations that have a lot of moving parts where there are lots of dependencies between software or operations. Different functional units within that organization often refer to other groups as partners. They're operations partners. They're tech partners. They're marketing partners. Often, this is revealing, though. In a tech organization, let's say, you need lots of cross-functional pieces to come together to produce valuable and working software. In an operating room, you need doctors, nurses, technicians to come together in the same way to perform a miracle on the operating table. In these cases, do you think the nurses call the doctors their MD partners? I don't think so. Do you think when every ladder in New York City, every engine in New York City went to the World Trade Center, they were looking over at each other thinking, it's my fireman partner over there. It's my axe partner. It's my hose partner. It's my driver partner. Bullshit. They're fucking teammates. And these are units, organizations that are extremely effective, that are great at what they do and where lives are on the line. So why then do corporations put people in administrative organizational buckets under certain managers and A, call people who really should be their teammates partners and B, separate them under different managers. If you have a job that needs to be done, you need to organize people so that they are all truly one team. And in Dilbert fashion, corporations erect as many barriers they can to such teamwork. Like, as I said, separating people under different managers or not giving people desks right next to each other. Granted, that's a little hard in quarantine. Another example would be paying people based on different incentives and different goals. This is preposterous. There's a phenomenon 
in business culture to take something that's obvious, call it a certain word, and then overuse that word. And this used to bother me, but actually it is in a way necessary in order to remind people of what an important reality is. One of those words is cross-functional. Let's get a cross-functional team together. Let's get a tiger team of cross-functional people. Let's cross-function that shit. The word, the phrase cross-functional is nonetheless important because many times, usually in business or government or the military, you do need a lot of different tools of the trade, a lot of different functions to get things done. But why do we insist on putting product managers under one manager, engineers under another manager? Why do we put sales operations people under Joe and the actual sales people under Julie? Perhaps it's because, as Kissinger said when talking about the fighting being so fierce, it's because the stakes were so small. The examples I cited earlier of the operating room, SEAL teams, firefighters, those are examples where there are life and death situations for the people they're trying to serve, as well as often the operators, as we'll call them, themselves. Back when I was at the Naval Academy, it was 96 to 2000. It was a sort of Pax Americana. There wasn't much happening in the world military-wise. My fellow midshipmen and I, at least the ones I chose to hang out with, would lament the terrible leaders all around us and above us. And there's this notion, we didn't make it up, uh, we weren't that morbid, at least, at least then, that wars end up cleansing the military of all the useless bureaucrats, all the hand ringers. And whether you're working in a small business in your local area, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you are working at a big tech corporation, chances are you're not fighting a war anytime soon. You can afford the inefficiencies and they go unnoticed. I talked about in episode zero. Yes, we indexed it zero on this series when the audio quality wasn't so good. I've been around the breeze block was the title of that episode. You should check it out. It features Alt-J, one of my favorite bands of the last several years. On that episode, I mentioned Frederick Bastiat, the economist, and he talks about the seen and the unseen and so much of what goes on in organizations. And the reason why leading, managing, and being effective is difficult is because so much is unseen. Collecting data is a huge effort to clarify what is unseen and measure phenomena, establish causality. But data collection has substituted for reason and decisiveness in, in too much of a way. The, the pendulum has swung in such an extreme direction that no one acts these days in big companies, especially out of reason. And so so much unseen dark matter rests in every large organization.
I just want to be clear about one thing. When we're talking about the SEAL teams, you may think everyone is just a SEAL, but everyone has their role to play. Everyone has designated responsibilities on an operation. And even when you're not doing an active operation, everyone's got their own responsibilities and specialties. So you have a sniper and a breacher and a corpsman who's a medical technician, if you will. All these people have their specialties, but at the end of the day, like the U.S. Marine Corps, every Marine is a rifleman. Every SEAL at the end of the day is a SEAL. Every firefighter is a fighter fighter. And you don't see that kind of unity in the private sector. All of this raises a key question. So you may be able to organize your people effectively. You may be able to train them in a certain way. They ultimately should be training themselves, which is something that professionals do. But even if all of that falls into place, the question is, how do I get them to really cohere as a team? I think there's a religion about compiling teams that are different. And there are some established benefits of that in the research. But I suspect that that research overlooks a lot of startup costs and really doesn't take into account the examples of teams where people are more alike. But that being said, let's say you get a whole bunch of new people together. Maybe there's been a reorg. Maybe you've hired new people. Maybe you're a startup and you're getting people together for the first time. How do you get them to be like a team and really stand up for each other, sacrifice for each other, be loyal to each other, have each other's back? That's what we're talking about when we use the phrase teams and shit. Take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Remember, remember the Titans. That was Denzel Washington there who plays Denzel Washington in every movie. Um, We've uh, featured Nicolas Cage here a couple times. Most people would say that Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage in every movie. Remember the Titans is a great movie, though. And the key part of how that team comes together is Denzel Washington is just an absolute asshole to both of these teams coming into one, uh, whether they be white or black. Uh, they all live in misery. Misery loves company. Denzel Washington's character, the head coach, knows that misery loves company. Of course, the uh, assistant coach, I can't remember his name. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, that guy is great in everything he's in. He's uh, a really likable character. His character in that movie, the, he plays the, head, the coach of the white team, but he becomes the assistant coach here. And uh, he's a little dim-witted about what <laughs> what Denzel's plan is, but uh, comes around in the end. And uh, it's a feel-good movie. You should check it out. There's something to that, though. 
Even people who haven't been in the military are familiar with the concept of breaking people down in boot camp before you build them back up again. And it's not just about the individual there. That's a huge part of it, of course, when someone goes into boot camp. However, the more important component that I want to bring out now is that team unity results from getting broken down. When you're in BUDS, basic underwater demolition seal training, and you're laying down in 53 degree water in the winter next to some random dudes that you never met before a month or two ago, you tend to like that person. You tend to stand up for that person, joke around with that person and have each other's back, even though before the military, you may have had totally different experiences. How do you implement this in a corporation? I confess, I do not know. You'd be best served not waiting for it to happen. You also shouldn't be Captain Ahab necessarily, but you should seek opportunities to go through these experiences that really forge a team. I've seen this at multiple venture-backed startups. I've seen it in the SEAL teams. I've seen it to some extent at Amazon where once you go through a miserable, a trying experience together with some people, you might hate them in the beginning, but this is the classic ending to every movie, right? At the end of Major League, the hotshot, rich Hollywood dick of a shortstop is friends with everybody, hugging everyone. And even though Major League is a comedy and it's such a Hollywood trope, that sort of ending is a reality. At Amazon, I was brought in when I first got there to kind of save an operation that was going off the rails. And frankly, the people that I had to deal with who were in a, again, a, a partner organization, ironically, we weren't a team before that. We were reporting to different heads. We became a team after that. And I really came to have mutual respect for the people that I initially really disliked and were, were really thwarting what I saw as progress. And by going through that, we reconciled to the extent that I actually even ended up going to work for one of those people later on. I sense that I'm becoming attracted to Gary. My advice is not to get involved with the team member, Sarah. It's too painful to see them die. I'm sorry, Lisa. I didn't mean to bring up- It's okay, Sarah. I treasure your friendship. I treasure yours, Lisa. If you get easily offended, do not, I repeat, do not watch Team America World Police. It was a pretty phenomenal movie at the time, and, and I'm going to make the claim that it does actually stand up. I looked at a couple clips preparing for this podcast, and it's downright hilarious. Team America highlights the absurdity of the military, like Catch-22, and to some degree Apocalypse Now, both of which were referred to a lot in recent episodes. But it, <laughs> Team America also illustrates just absurdity in general. And so it's a lot of fun. But if you have treasured ideals, then the movie may not be for you. Treasured ideals tend to 
go out the window when lives are on the line. The reality of a combat situation or a business situation as it may be threatening bankruptcy become purified, if you will. That sounds kind of Hitlerian. Uh, didn't mean to say it so darkly there. The reality is, though, that it's easy to have an egalitarian desire or experiment with new ways of organizing, which I'm all for, but it's easy to experiment with things that might be a little woo-woo and sound good and attract people, but don't ultimately get things done. I've seen that also in some startups as well as big corporations, the desire to have no one in charge where no one actually has operational control or maybe times where no one can veto at the right time. There's one element of a team that I left out earlier, which is that this may not be true in all circumstances, but I'm going to make the argument that it is true in most, which is a team has a leader. A team has someone who is ultimately responsible and accountable. And you would be surprised to know that in really, really high-performing, sexy companies, a lot of times they flout that idea. It's just that there are plenty of other areas that are succeeding. There may be one area that's just minting money for the entire company. Examples might be Amazon Web Services for Amazon or ad revenue for Google. And so in those cases, again, the stakes are small to have inefficiency on your quote-unquote teams or amongst partners. The result of this is that there's inevitable friction. And this happens a lot in technology where product managers, engineers, and designers are often managed by different people. And so you've got some supposed goal. Hopefully you have a goal for that group of people, but too often they are not a team. Now, Amazon actually does that really well. They've got this idea of the Two pizza team, which uh, Jeff Bezos came up with and, and which I really like, even though I didn't drink all the Kool-Aid there at Amazon. The notion is that you have all that you need to succeed. You've got a unified goal and everyone can be fed by two pizzas. So it's relatively small. But at the end of the day, when you've got something important to do, someone needs to be in charge. Even at Amazon, I saw... Another phrase being overused to talk about something that should be obvious, which is a single-threaded leader. They're single-threaded. And so that person owns some big thing and they own it completely. But that is such an obvious concept to those from the military and those from high-stakes operations that only idealists with the luxury of time and money would do anything other than have a single-threaded leader, unity of command, as one would call it in the military.
And now's that time of the podcast where we get all the way wet. This is the full benefit portion where we talk about footnotes and other esoterica. Today is a pretty slim one. There's a whole episode called Local H. That's episode number four. Local H did a cover of Lord's song, Team. It's interesting. I actually thought Lord was maybe from New York for some reason. She must have lived in New York at some point because a lot of the lyrics talk about, I think, subways or city things. My backup guess was London. Apparently, she's from New Zealand, which is interesting. And there's lots of lyrics that I've come to learn refer to her having, quote unquote, a disconnect with the rest of the world and a unity between everyone who experiences it. That's from Song Meanings, a user called Polyrez. That notion of having a disconnect with the rest of the world and unity with everyone who experiences that disconnect really resonates with me. In the SEAL teams, you are, in a sense, cut off from reality. Grant, you live a real life, and people ask me all the time, especially after I got out, about that adjustment. And my argument was, uh, we're all real people, and, and I'm a real person. I was before the teams, during the teams, and after the teams, I'm still a normal person. But there is an intense unity between those who have quote-unquote seen behind the curtain versus those who haven't. The music video for Team is pretty interesting. It was filmed at the Red Hook Grain Terminal in Red Hook, New York. And so this (laughs) affirms my belief that Lord at one time or now lived or lives in New York. Red Hook beer, by the way, can't stand it. Hated it from day one. But day one for Red Hook beer was way before everyone else in the industry decided to just keep upping the bitterness units. It's a, it's a pretty interesting video, though. There's a young man, let's call it probably a teenager, in a boat, almost like crossing the river Styx. And he's got a burlap bag, I guess burlap sack, over his head. And he gets to what actually is the grain terminal. But in the video is sort of this lost island, an abandoned building just totally run and occupied by teenagers. In order to join Lord's team, he has to go through a rite of passage, which is jousting another teenager, on motorcycles. Of course, he's given what looks to be like a little spoke from a stair banister, wooden, whereas his opponent has an aluminum baseball bat. Not, not, not quite that even. But what's interesting is that this person so badly wants to join this team. How many times in your life have you experience such a visceral desire to join a team. I have. But I'm, I'm guessing that many people in the private sector and maybe even in government and some nonprofits have no idea what 
that is like because the allure of the team is not there. Either there's not a mission or there's not shared purpose or you can tell that the people don't really like each other, won't really sacrifice from each other. They'll answer each other's emails nine to five, maybe sometimes after hours compulsively, but what's that for? Is it for their teammates? Really? Lord has a quote about the video saying, sometimes the person who loses is stronger. That kid on the motorcycle in the video, he loses badly. <laughs> but he's smiling as he's carried in, bloodied and battered, in to join Lord, who's self-appointed queen of this commune. My absolute favorite line of the song, and one of my favorite lines ever, frankly, is I'm kind of over getting told to throw my hands up in the air. So there. Lord is great at throwing cold water on the glitz and the glam. She'd probably be a great business leader as well, calling people out on their stupid terminology and unrealistic ideals. She'd find that dark matter in the organization. The song Team is from her 2013 album, Pure Heroin. We need more heroines and heroes like that to actually organize people for success. Because teams, true teams, can do unbelievable things. Teams and shit. Warrior Poet is a property of Rainiac Productions. If you like The Warrior Poet, there's more great content on Instagram. Follow Shri, The Warrior Poet, on Instagram. That's S-R-I, The Warrior Poet. You can also get to know me on a personal level by following Shri, actually, on Instagram as well. The Warrior Poet is produced by Laddie, with special contributions by Spoonman and me, Shri. We live in cities, you'll never see on screen No, 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 no. Kevin, me na dua. Spita.